Just let me extend my offer of our welcome today. Just welcome to Impact Beaver Valley. We are glad you are here today. We want to welcome you. We pray that today you would be brought closer to God. Hey, today we just want to celebrate the fact that we turned our electric guitar into a cello. That was like bring. That was pretty cool. That was like bringing us up in in in, in class. He was giving us some class today. Yeah, I love that. Love that. Praise Man does such a great job all the time, each and every week, and we just want to celebrate what they do because they do it with a heart of worship, and that's what we're going to be talking about today. We're in the heart of this message series called Gaining a Heart for God, Lessons from the Life of David. David, King of Israel, giant slayer, adulterer, psalm writer. David was also given the title Man After God's Own Heart. So in this series, we are learning about the heart of David. We're learning who he was, what he was all about, and how we can apply that to our lives. Today, we are talking about worship. And in some ways, today is the summary of the series because this is truly what David was all about, worship. And before I begin, I feel like I need to begin today by defining what worship is. Now, in the Old Testament, a big part of worship was all about sacrificing animals. Animal sacrifice was an important theme we find throughout the scriptures because without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness. If you lived in the Old Testament times before you went to church, what you would do is you would get up, you would go out in the field, probably little Johnny went with you, and and you would look for the very best animal you could find. You would find the spotless one, you would find the perfect one, and you would bring it to church with you. And and you would deal with all that nastiness and the dirtiness, and and you guys think you have trouble getting to church on time. I mean, come on, think about that. Trying to think about picking up an animal and bringing it with you to church. If you lived in the Old Testament times, you would bring this animal to the priest, and this priest would take and prepare this animal. And this priest would have you stand and look at the animal in its eyes. And then he would slit the throat. And the blood would drain out of the animal. And you would look into the eyes and you would see the life just draining out of the animal. You would watch that. And you would have a greater appreciation of the magnitude of your sins. You would have a greater appreciation of the devastation that your sins have caused the separation between you and God. And it'll help you recognize the love that God has for you. The, the, the priest would then cut up the animal in pieces and place it on the altar. Now, now today, if we're cutting up an animal and placing it on something, that something is the grill. And, and that's something, and if we're preparing it, the only thing that we're doing is putting like a good marinade on it or some good seasonings on it. So, so that, that, that idea of, of sacrificing an animal, that's kind of weird to us today, isn't it? And something you might be thinking about, why animals? What did they do wrong? Well, that's kind of the point. Since the animals did no wrong, they died in the place of the person giving the sacrifice. Today, we want to thank God for the fact that Jesus was our ultimate sacrifice. He was the perfect sacrifice. He did it once and done to restore our relationship with God. And it is because of what Jesus did on the cross that we don't have to sacrifice animals. Now, sacrifice in the Old Testament was important, but God made it clear that worship is more than obedience. It's more than just going through the act. It's more than just doing the task. But in order for worship to be accepted, it needs to be pure, like that lamb, like that sacrifice, like that animal. And it needs to come from the heart. And it needs to be of pure motives. 
The type of sacrifice that God desires is is a daily laying aside of our own desires to follow him, putting all of your energies and resources at his disposal and trusting him to guide us with those resources and give him our lives. Now, Now, we do this not out of obligation, but rather out of gratitude for what he did for us. Now, now don't worry, if if this is your first time to impact, don't worry, we're not going to be cutting up any humans or sacrificing any virgins today. We are focusing on Jesus Christ. And let me me read to you in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, where it says, Paul says this, he says, Romans chapter 1, it says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. That is exactly what we have seen in the life of David throughout this series. Throughout the series, we are watching David worship. See, in the past few weeks, we've seen the heart of David was all about worship. We watched as David's worship as he was being patient and waiting on God's timing as God was preparing him to be king. We watched David worship as he took down Goliath because he was willing to step out in faith when everything and everyone around him told him to do otherwise. We watched David worship as he submitted to the poor leadership in his life and how he chose not to return evil for evil. We watched David worship as he repented immediately, without reservation, and completely. In the next couple of weeks, we're going to continue to watch David worship as he stays close to God, even when life doesn't go his way. We're going to watch David worship as he forgives, not holding on to any bitterness that is going to impede his relationship with God. Today, I want to challenge the way that you worship. Today, I want to challenge the way that you worship it because worship is so much more than singing. True worship is not confined to singing. True worship is not what we do on Sunday mornings in the church. And it's not limited to the singing that you do in the car when you're rocking out to Caleb. And it's not limited to what you do in the shower. All these these things are good. We we are told to do them in the Bible. Well, maybe not the shower part, but we're, we're told to sing. We're told to worship. But worship, again, is more than singing. See, singing is what we do with our voices. Worship is what we do with our hearts. Worship is responding to God. Worship is responding to God. One pastor has this definition about worship. He says, worship is our inmost being responding with praise for all that God is through our attitudes, our actions, our thoughts, and our words based on the truth of God as he has revealed himself. Worship is the heartfelt acknowledgement of God and all his power and giving him the glory, giving him the credit in the things that we do and how we live our life. Worship is responding to God in the way that we choose to live our lives. The more we know about God, the more we know about Him, the more we know about His majesty, His divinity, the more we know about, his, about how He created life, the more that we can celebrate who He is and how powerful He can be in our lives. Then we can celebrate Him. We can celebrate God. We can celebrate creation we're going to celebrate creation just now for a second. I want to show you a picture of a, a fire, firebird fish. This is just an incredible creature that God has created. It's such an incredible creature where God has just outlined this creature in, in just this majestic orange. And it's just such a beautiful thing to just see this little thing floating around. Do you guys know about the woodpecker? 
You guys know about the woodpecker? You know that little cute little bird that just bounces his head off the tree until he gets a hole in it, until he can just just get in there and, and he'll live in there. And sometimes if he doesn't live in there, he'll like stick his tongue in there so that he can pull out that, that bug in there and that he can eat. Do you know that a woodpecker has a little shock absorber in his head so that he, when he is beating his head against the tree, he's not beating his head against the wall because he would have a concussion every time. That is just such a cool thing that God did. And you know, too, the woodpecker has his tongue. It wraps up around his head when it's not coming out and getting that, that bug. Because if he didn't have that long tongue, he couldn't get the bug and he would die. If he didn't have that shock absorber, he would die because he would have a concussion. Let me tell you one more thing. Have you guys ever heard of the bombardier beetle? I think I've told you guys about this once. This is the coolest bug in the world. And I just want to worship God right now because of this bug. Because this bug, the defense mechanism of the bombardier beetle is he shoots fire out his butt. It is the coolest thing in the world. And I want to tell you that this just blows evolution away. And I will tell you this story later. But this just blows evolution away. This is the coolest bug in the world. He shoots fire out his butt. And in God, our God is just so cool. That he creates just such incredible things for us. He creates our bodies in just such incredible ways. He creates our eyeballs in just such incredible ways that it talks to our brain and it makes our hands do things. It is just incredible what our God does. We are celebrating. We are worshiping what God is doing in our lives. Worship can include praying. Worship can include reading from God's word with an open heart and an open mind. Worship can include participating in communion. Worship can be serving others and loving others. Worship can be loving someone that has been placed in your life that is, frankly, not that lovable. Worship can be doing a job that you really don't want to do. Worship can be doing the very best job in that situation, doing that job with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your mind. Not doing it for the man that you are working with, but doing it for the creator of this world. Worship can be trusting God even when life doesn't make sense. Worship can be staying in a marriage when everyone around you is telling you you should leave. Worship can be patient, waiting on God and his timing, not our timing, enforcing what we want. Worship can be willing to forgive even when it's hard. Worship is not limited to a certain act, but it's pleasing God when the heart and the attitude is right. Here's a key principle for you. The key principle is worship is doing the things God wants you to do in the way that God wants with the attitude that honors God. See, we can do things that God wants, but not do them in the attitude that God wants. And that's not worship. See, like when, when we tell our kids to take out the trash and, and mom tells the kid to take out the trash, but the whole time he's just grumbling the whole way. That's not worship. You're doing it with the wrong attitude. Or, or, or when, when the wife asks you guys to, to fill in the blank here and, and you just do it with no heart because you think you're going to get something out of it. Or wife, you know, when, when you tell your husband, husband to do something, but the only reason behind it is because you're manipulating him to do something that you want. See, when we do things like that with a bad attitude, we are defeating the purpose of doing them. We might as well not even do them. If the purpose is to just get it done, then we succeeded. But that is not the heart of God. And that, my friends, is not worship. See, you, you guys heard the, the verse before in Colossians 3 about whatever you do, work at it with all your heart is working for the Lord. Let's look at it a little bit different version. Let's look at it in the message version. Let's look at it in Colossians 3, starting in verse 22. It says, servants, do what you are told by your earthly masters 
And don't do just the minimum that will get you by. Do your best. Work from the heart for the real master, for God, confident that you will get paid in full when you come into your inheritance. Keep in mind always that the ultimate master you are serving is Christ. The sullen servant who does shoddy work will be held responsible. Being a follower of Jesus doesn't cover up bad work. See, having a heart for God drives us to do what we do for the right reason in the right way with the right motive. See, when we do what God wants but do it for the wrong reason or the wrong attitude, God can actually oppose our efforts. See, at least seven times in the Bible, in Psalms and Proverbs and, and, and Matthew and Luke, it says, God opposes the proud and shows favor to the humble. Also, in, in Amos, it says, God can see through our hypocrisy and he hates heartless worship. A powerful example of this is the story of Cain and, Eve, Cain and Abel, the first sons of Adam and Eve. They broke, God said, bring me an offering. And, and they both brought gifts of offering to the Lord. But God was only pleased with Abel's. See, Abel brought the finest lamb, for, lamb from his flock out of true faith and admiration for God. Cain brought his gift, but only out of obligation. Having the heart for God drives us to do what we do for the right reason, in the right way, with the right motive. Let's begin today by taking a look at the story in the life of David that exemplifies the heart of God. Remember Saul, King Saul, the, the, the king before David? See, he started out as a good king, but he ended up being a bad king. See, the worship of the Lord suffered under the reign of King Saul because Saul had disobeyed the Lord's direction. And David wanted to restore Israel's relationship with God. He wanted to renew the Israelites' worship of God. And in order to do that, David wanted to reunite the Ark of the Covenant with the Israelites. He wanted to bring the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. The Ark of the Covenant symbolized the Lord's presence among the Israelites, a powerful symbol of God. This Ark of the Covenant held the Ten Commandments of God that he gave to Moses, and it's where God met with Moses. But at a low point in Israel's history, the Philistines had captured the ark and had taken it away, and the glory of the Lord had departed from Israel. So David went out to recapture the ark and bring it home, bring it back to the house of Israel, bring it back to his new capital city. It was to be a sign that the Lord, the true king over all of Israel, was their king. He wanted to reunite the people. He wanted to restore worship. And this was no small party that David was initiating. This was, he made it a national event. He gathered the whole assembly of Israel, the army, the government, the brothers of, of the Israelites throughout Israel. He elevated the restoration of worship to a national event. So let's start reading it. In 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 1, it says, Then David again gathered all the elite troops in Israel, 30 thousand in all. He led them to Bala of Judah to bring back the ark of God. They placed the ark of God on a new cart and brought it from Abedad's house, which was on a hill. Uzzah and Ohio, Abinadad's sons, were guiding the cart that carried the ark of God. Ohio walked in front of the cart. David and all the people of Israel were celebrating before the Lord. 
singing songs and playing all kind of musical instruments, lyres and harps, tambourines, castanets and cymbals. But here's where things go terribly wrong. But when they arrived at the threshing floor of Nacon, the oxen stumbled and Uzzah reached out his hand and he steadied the ark of the Lord. Then the Lord's anger was aroused against Uzzah and God struck him dead because he touched the ark. So Uzzah died right there beside the ark of God. David was angry because the Lord's anger had burst out against Uzzah. Doesn't seem right, does it? The guy died just because he kept the ark from falling into the mud. Doesn't seem right, does it? David was angry. And at first, that really doesn't seem right either. Why would he be angry? A little confusing. The text doesn't specifically say why David was angry, but let's talk about what David was feeling at this time. David was probably feeling sad, shocked, confused. He may have even felt responsible for what had happened. He felt possibly humiliated. Consider this. Anger is often called the secondary emotion because we tend to resort to anger in order to protect ourselves or cover up our vulnerable feelings. A primary feeling that is felt immediately before we resort to feeling angry is, is maybe getting sad. See, we almost feel something else. We always feel something else before we get angry. Now, I, I must be an overachiever because more, more often than not, I move right to angry, you know, and, and, and I get right to angry. But see, it may happen so quick that we don't even realize it. Or it may have become so conditioned, we have may become so conditioned to the feeling that we suppress it or ignore it, ignore that feeling, and move right to angry. See, experiencing unjust, apparently unjust treatment, hearing criticism, or simply not getting what you want are a few of the potential triggers for getting angry. See, typically one of the primary emotions like fear or sadness can, found, can be found beneath the feeling of anger. Feeling, fear includes things like anxiety or worry or sadness, and, and they comes from the experience of loss or disappointment or discouragement. Feeling fear and sadness is uncomfortable. We don't like feeling that way. It makes you feel vulnerable, and it makes you feel out of control. David had gone to get the ark, and he did it with the best of intentions. David loved the Lord, and he truly thought that he was doing exactly what God wanted. But the outcome wasn't what he expected. And he probably felt sad or feel fearful about what happened. He may have even felt responsible. But then he became angry as a response in an attempt to gain control of his life. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt like, saying to God, I thought I was doing what you wanted me to do, but this definitely isn't the outcome that I was expecting. Or have, have you ever felt worried or fearful or vulnerable or just generally out of control? See, if we're not careful, we can allow those feelings to boil into something that will drive us further away from God. It will push God away rather than bringing us into a deeper relationship with Him. But let me say clearly, it's okay to have those feelings. See, early on in our marriage, when my wife Missy used to come to me and she used to say that she has certain feelings or she used to feel that she, has, she felt a certain way and she used to tell me how she felt, I would say to her, honey, you shouldn't feel that way. Little marriage advice right here. Never tell a woman you shouldn't feel a certain way. 
There is nothing good that is going to come from that. God is okay with our feelings. He wants you to express your feelings to him. The Psalms are filled with David crying out to God in anger, in fear, in grief, in humility, and ultimately in repentance. See, too often we allow ourselves to express feelings in a way that don't honor God. We choose to worry, but we call it being concerned. We choose to complain or grumble, but we call it venting. Worry is sin. Worry is not putting your faith in the God of the universe. Worry is is a lack of trust. The opposite of worry is faith. Faith is believing that God will do what he said he would do, even though he's not doing in the timing that we want him to do. And grumbling, my friends, grumbling is a sin. Grumbling or complaining literally means one who is discontented with his lot in life. We're saying that to God. You know, when your kid comes up to you and you're grumbling, you're like, come on, stinking kid, you're going to grumble at me after all what I've done to you, done for you? That's what we're doing to God. Grumbling or complaining is detrimental to our peace and our joy and our patience that comes from that of the Holy Spirit. See, it's easy to worship when we are comfortable and we are filled with joy. Anyone can worship when we feel like it. True worship, worshiping in spirit and in truth, is recognizing who God is, even when I don't understand, even when I don't feel like it or I don't want to. True worship occurs when you are grateful, even though you didn't get the job. True worship occurs when your relative or yourself is diagnosed with cancer, but you can still recognize that God is good. True worship occurs when you're living in a thankless job or position in life, but you choose to do that job with all of your heart as though you were working for God himself, not for men. Worship is the most authentic and most precious to God when we don't want to give it. Sometimes when we experience hard times, we just need to worship, even though we don't feel like it. In order to get, those, get past those dark and challenging times, we need to learn to praise through it. See, too often we aren't willing to fight through the tough times. Too often we'd rather give up than struggle or fight through it. But ask any runner, and they'll tell you, at a certain point, you feel like you hit a wall when you're running. Some will quit. But those runners who are willing to push through the pain, they're willing to push past the wall. At that point, they experience an overwhelming physical high. You get your second wind. And that is when the endorphins kick in and turn the pain into power. Too often when we hit that wall in our spiritual life, we aren't willing to push through. We don't experience that incredible spiritual high that comes with trusting God. See, we need to learn to worship through. We need, to, we need to learn to be willing to throw up our gang sign. Worship. We're going to worship. Throw up your gang sign. Worship. Come on, throw up your gang sign. Do it with me. Worship. Come on. Worship. When you guys are, when you guys are experiencing a tough week and I see you going down the hallway in here, you're going like this. I know you're going through a tough week. I know you're worshiping through it. I know you're going to praise God through it. I know I, these guys are going like two-fisted things going, yeah, 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 I'm really worshiping. We can't expect to bypass the pain and make it into the presence of God. We can't expect 
to bypass the pain and make it into the presence of God. See, when you feel like you can't, let me encourage you, you can. When you feel like you can't, you can't, because, not because of you or anything that you can do, but because of Christ living in you. Jesus came to die for you so that he could live in you, so that you could walk with him. In Isaiah 40, it says this, Those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not grow faint. See, we live in the surface level of what God wants to do in our lives. We're not willing to push through that pain. We're not willing to experience that spiritual high when we say, God, I'm going to worship no matter what. I'm going to push through and I'm going to trust you. I'm going to put you on the pedestal where you need to be. And I'm going to give you the glory for it. The truth is that a lot of time when we feel like we're unjustly accused or being criticized incorrectly, or when we feel like we're getting something that we don't deserve, a lot of times we find out we get exactly what we did deserve or that, in, or that was the, the selfishness or the pride in our lives that was building the wall in the first place. And see, that's exactly what occurred here in the case of Uzzah touching the ark. See, apparently Uzzah and David didn't read the Ark of the Covenant operation manual. And it was found back in Exodus 25 where it says, The Ark of the Covenant is only to be transported with two poles slid into the golden rings that are attached to the Ark of the Covenant. David thought he was doing a really good thing by putting it on a new cart. But when in fact, God told him to do it a certain way, and he didn't do it. And it seems like a small thing. But when it comes to obedience, when it comes to worship, there are no small things with God. So often in life, we get ourselves in trouble because we don't follow God's instructions manual the first time, the right way, and with the right heart. Let's go back to the story, back to, back to 2 Samuel, and we're going to pick up in verse 9, and it says, David was now afraid of the Lord, and he asked, how can I ever bring the ark of the Lord back into my care? So David decided not to move the ark of the Lord into the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Obed-Edom of Gath. The ark of the Lord remained there in Obed-Edom's house for three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and his entire household. Then King David was told, The Lord blessed Obed-Edom's household and everything he had because of the ark of God. So David went there and brought the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with a great celebration. After the men who were carrying the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, David sacrificed a bull and a fatted calf. Sounds like David went back and reread the operating manual. Verse 14, And David danced before the Lord with all of his might, wearing a priestly garment. So David and all the people of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts of joy and the blowing of ram's horns. David is getting his groove on. Can you picture this scene? All these people, thousands and thousands of people worshiping and just singing. You've heard of break dancing, right? David's got his art dancing going on here. He's, he's, like, he's like giving it, up for, for giving it up for God. He's like, he's back on track. But right now, he's going to hit another obstacle. Verse 16. But as the ark of the Lord entered the city of David, Michal, the daughter of Saul, Looked down from her window. Notice the Bible doesn't say David's wife, which she was. But the Bible says, Michal, the daughter of Saul. When she saw King David leaping and dancing and art dancing, 
before the Lord. She was filled with contempt for David. They brought the ark of the Lord and set it in the place inside the special tent David had prepared for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and peace offerings to the Lord. And when he had finished his sacrifice, David blessed the people in the name of the Lord, in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies. Then he gave to every Israelite man and woman in the crowd a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins. Then all the people returned to their homes. Just a little side note here. Worship requires preparation. David gave every man and woman a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, a cake of raisins. That took some planning. That took some forethought. You just don't run down to the sheets and get 30,000 tasty cakes in Israel. Worship takes preparation. Worship takes preparation of the heart. Worship requires preparation and sacrifice. See, in a different time in David's life, David was to sacrifice. And the king that was with him, he, he offered, the king offered to David his land and his animals to sacrifice in place of what David would give. But David wisely refused and said, no, I have to pay you what they're worth. I can't offer to the Lord my God a sacrifice that I got for nothing. See, our worship requires preparation and sacrifice. How do you prepare to worship? What effort, what preparation do you put in to your worship? Maybe the next question needs to be, how is God preparing you to worship? See, some of the things that we experience in life aren't, are meant for us. They are meant to build us up and to strengthen us. You tell me the last time you were uncomfortable, and I'll tell you the last time you grew. You tell me the last time that you felt uncomfortable or vulnerable or fearful or worried. And I'll tell you, the last time you grew when you trusted in God. Pick up in verse 20. Verse 20, when David returned home to bless his own family, McCall, the David, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet him. Guys, you know, when you get home and the wife is coming out to meet you, either it's going to be a really good night or it's going to be a really bad night. And she said, in disgust, with that whiny, sarcastic wife voice, how distinguished the king of Israel looked today, shamelessly exposing himself to the servant girls like any vulgar person might do. Just a note here, my wife does not have that voice at all. She does not have that voice. 20, verse 21, David retorted to, to McCall, I was dancing before the Lord who chose me above your father and all of his family. He appointed me as leader of Israel, the people of the Lord, so I celebrate before the Lord. Yes, I am willing to look even more foolish than this, even to be humiliated in my own eyes. But those servant girls you mentioned will indeed think I am distinguished. So McCall, the daughter of Saul, remained childless throughout her life. See, David at this point in his life, he's the great architect of worship in Jerusalem. Compared to the emphasis on sacrifice in, in, in the tabernacle, in the wilderness, worship God in front of the ark in Jerusalem at this time with David is characterized by music and open praise. We see so much of this in the Psalms that David had written. David is the great praise leader of Israel. But sadly, that very praise that David was offering was misunderstood by one of the people closest to him in his life, his wife, McCall. And for some reason, McCall, the daughter of Saul, had a problem with David's worship. Verse 6, it says, when she, 
When she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him with all of her heart. It doesn't get much worse than that on the do you like me scale. Remember that? Remember in grade school, remember when you would send a, a little note to your potential boyfriend or girlfriend? Do you like me? Check no. Check, check one for no. Check, check two for yes. Check three for I despise you. doesn't get much lower than that, does it? Again, the scriptures here does not specify the reason for McCall's dislike of David. But there are some things here that we can learn from McCall. And it's really important that we do because this isn't just hurting her relationship with David. Her husband is hurting her relationship with God. She's pushing God away. And there are some things in our lives that hinder us, things that keep us from truly worshiping and experiencing God. Some of these things are, are new things. Sometimes new things, especially in worship, turn her off. And that may have been McCall's issue here. David dancing around and singing and worshiping with all of his heart and all of her was new to her. And if we're not careful, we can do the exact same thing. Those people in that church down the road, they're just worshiping all crazy, raising their hands and doing all this crazy stuff. Many people over the years have struggled with the type of worship, the type of music and regretfully, too often, we allow new things, differences of opinion, to keep us from truly experiencing God. When we were in Haiti, we were on a mission trip, and in the village that we were in, they had a, they had a worship service at 4.30 in the morning, 4.30 a.m. on Wednesday morning. Yeah, okay, I, I, and that's weird in itself, right? Okay, because 4.30 a.m. in the morning, and there was like 100 people in this place just worshiping. And I asked where you could hear these people just praising God from miles and miles away. And, and it's just such an incredible thing to just be in, in, involved in this. But they did this weird thing. They started to pray. That's not the weird thing. They started to pray everybody all at once. All at once, hundreds of people just, just praying and just like, it was just like this weird seance kind of thing and there was just these voices and weird stuff and, then, and it was just like messing with your head and it was just, but as you listen, you started to hear the different people and how they related to God. You heard one people just offering up a petition to God, just saying, please, God, help me with this. I'm just in such pain. You heard one person just praising God in just such an incredible way. You just heard different people, how they related to God. And it was just such an incredibly beautiful new experience. So thankful for new experiences in worship. So thankful for the way that we can learn to worship God. Another thing that we can, can hinder us from truly worshiping is our past experiences. And our past experiences play a huge part in how we view life today. How we approach life today is based largely on our previous experiences. Most of the time, they're good. We touch the stove and we get burned and, hey, that was dumb. I'm not going to do that again. But sometimes our previous experiences keep us from experiencing something much better. And that probably affected McCall's relationship, but in a negative way. McCall's father. Remember Saul? We find out earlier in this series that Steve told us that Saul was not the best king of Israel. And we also get hints that Saul was probably not the best father to McCall. That may have played into McCall's resistance to David worshiping God. But also, too, McCall's relationship with David at first was such a beautiful marriage. But then it turned sour. Things turned bad. And it seems McCall's bitterness with David over the past events in their marriage, may not have only destroyed their marriage, but it may have damaged her relationship with God. 
How do we allow our previous experiences and our new experiences to affect our worship today? How do we allow these experiences to reflect our relationship with God? Those Pentecostals are just weird. Or maybe you say to yourself, I grew up Catholic and that was the only way to worship. That was the only way to do things. Let's be real. When it comes to worship, responding with praise to God with all of your heart, with all of your attitudes and actions, there's nobody that has the corner market on that. We could all learn to worship better. We could all learn through new experiences to honor God better with our heart and our soul and our mind. Don't allow a new experience or a past experience to keep you from a superior experience with God. Because the only thing that we are hurting is ourselves and our relationship with God. Don't allow what's wrong with you to keep you from worshiping what is right with God. As we wrap up, let's look back at David. Remember, David was a man after God's own heart, and he was worshiping. Let's strive to have that heart of David. Let's, let's have that heart of David as we're patient and we wait on God's timing as he prepares you. Let's be willing to step out in faith, even when everything and everyone around you is saying, don't take that step of faith. Let's be willing to submit to the leadership in your life. Let's be willing to repent immediately, completely, and without reservation. Let's be willing to choose to stay close to God, even when life doesn't go our way. Let's be willing to forgive, not holding on to past hurts, but let's be willing to, to allow that bitterness to go away. See, God is interested in true and authentic worship. God is interested in you taking steps, pressing in to him. God is interested in you taking authentic, true steps towards him and press into God. That, my friends, is how we worship. That, my friends, is how we truly get past those walls in our lives and how we truly experience God Father. My friends, we are going to continue to sing praises. We're going to sing two songs, and then we're going to take communion. And I want you to consider, what are you doing in your heart how are you worshiping? How are you preparing to come before the God that loves you so much that he died for you? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for the life that you give us. God, you give us in that life opportunities. God, you give us opportunities to say to you, I love you. You give us opportunities in our lives to say, God, I want you more than anything else. God, Father, just help us right now. Help us to have humble hearts. Help us to have hearts that, that, that truly worship. Help us to, to see in ourselves the things that are keeping us from a deeper relationship with, with you. Father God, you have given everything to us. You have given us your son, Jesus Christ. His blood was shed so that we could have a relationship with you. Father God, help us appreciate that. Help us appreciate what has taken us from you, what keeps us from you. But Father God, more than anything, help us appreciate Jesus and how we can work in our lives. It's in his name that we say, amen.